Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who at one of his lowest moments would use an elevator ride with actress Shelley Winters to cheer him up. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yeah, 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 me, 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 me. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. I have a wonderful guest today who we're going to introduce shortly. I'll quickly tell the Shelley Winters story. I've sort of alluded to it at times, but I was in the throat. This is like 83, 84, and I'm in the throes of therapy. Like I'm trying to figure out why I do the stupid things I do and why I'm afraid of this and not afraid of that and everything. So I had this therapist who was in a building in Westwood that had a lot of therapists in it, the Monty Steakhouse building in Westwood. And the elevator, they were seemed to be all on the ninth floor. So oftentimes I'm, I'm in the throes of therapy. I'm in a haze of like ang- crazy anxiety. And I would ride the elevator sometimes up and down. And it turns out the actress Shelley Winters, who had won Academy Awards for Diary of Anne Frank with Place in the Sun, and she's oftentimes in the same elevator ride up and the same elevator ride down, seeing a different therapist on this floor. And I would sometimes come in there like, how am I going to live? What am I going to do? And Shelley Winters would be in this elevator, and she was in such worse shape than me. Like, she's talking to the elevator buttons. She's looking. And I don't mean to make fun of her, but it was just like she was in a really rough way. So I ride up and ride down, and Shelly Winters is talking to the elevator. And I would think to myself, I'm not Shelly Winters. Like, maybe I'll get there, but I don't think I'll get there. But I would use Shelly Winters just like, yeah, I know. Like, I, man, I'm really struggling. But I'm not Shelley Winters. So anyway, I don't know if that's the nicest story, but it's a showbiz story in a way. Anyway, uh, Shelley Winters, yeah, talking to herself in the elevator. Um, anyway, I have a wonderful guest. He's a great old friend. He would be even, I wish it's like, he, I wish I could live on the East Coast because we would hang out more because we have such a good time. So I'm going to give the drum roll introduction. He ran the Howard Stern channels for Sirius Media, Sirius Media, uh, and really at the dawn of Sirius Radio, which we can talk about that. He's the president and CEO of Sabian Media. They do strategic consulting, practice with focus on the entertainment and media brands. This is from LinkedIn. Services include brand development, create content creation, talent discovery, development, audience acceleration, and engagement strategies, monetization, we love that, through content and partnership building anyway. He's a media guy and he's one of the greats. Please welcome Tim Sabian. Thank you. Thank you, Tim Stack. Thank you, Tim. We'll see you next week. Uh, (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Tim, thank you. I really mean that. Like, you've been a a great friend. And again, I feel like we'd be even better friends if I was on the East Coast because you rarely get out here and I don't get back there enough anymore. Uh, He got my son Doyle an internship on the Howard Stern show. And Doyle's cutting it up now. Yeah, he's doing okay. He's doing okay. You got him started. And I would say one funny follow-up to that was, at some point, all the interns got together and sued Sirius Media. Do you know about this, Tim? Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, yeah that was. And Doyle gets this letter. 
Doyle gets this letter from serious, like the the interns, like the union guys, the what the interns, and he goes, "Dad, uh, they want me to sue serious." I say, "You are not suing that." Tim Sabian got you an internship. You can thank him and Howard Stern. So uh, it's all good, all good, all good. So you've had a really crazy great career. I want you to talk about going from, take us from your journey from St. Paul, Minnesota. Take us as far, and then we're going to get into your new stuff, but take us as far as getting to Howard Stern. Like, what was that journey? Well, I I grew up in a radio household. My father was in the business and uh, he was uh, very talented. He And when he got out of the Navy, uh, he served in the Korean War and uh, he was the radio guy. And uh, after when he got out, he got a job as a, an engineer at KDWB in Minneapolis, which was then WCOW, WCOW on a country radio station. <laughs> and uh, he called himself Side Saddle Sam Sherwood. So and, he was uh, on the air. He was on the air. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was Crow Call Your Broadcasting. And back in the day of the show Laughing, he worked with Gary Owens and and, uh, you know, Eubanks and all those kinds of guys. And and uh, my dad was very creative and a great writer and wrote for many television shows. I was going to say, didn't he write like for Bob Hope or somebody? He, he wrote. Well, he did. He was going to be uh, Andy Williams opening act. Uh, and then my mother wouldn't allow him to, to travel because she, you know, with five kids, yeah. she knew what that could end up as, you know, yeah. so there nothing good can happen with that. So she made him stay uh, in the backyard, uh, you know, on a leash. So, uh, but, uh, he was very talented and, uh, I was always envious of him and, and the people that he would hang out with because back then radio was still theater of the mind and, right. you know, the skits that they did and the promotions and all this kind of stuff. And it was so exciting because I got to see, you know, like I remember going to see the Beatles when I was eight years old and I saw, you know, backstage with Mike Love and the Beach Boys and Mike Love hands me a piece of paper and he says, Hey, uh, I wrote the songs on my hand can you read the list and tell me you know if they're in sync with each other and i couldn't barely read that you know yeah. i'm like seven yeah. eight years old that's i'm just going yeah yeah i think yeah. i just Good screwed vi- up. what's I- that word vibrations yeah 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 and i think i just screwed up the entire presentation the entire concert that that's night that's really but, funny but, that's like a I, movie bit that's really funny it, oh my god yeah and i just i met everybody from Jimi hendrix to the love and spoonful to you name it you know i mean it was just incredible the exposure that i had and uh, so it was nothing Thing, you know new to me i was never starstruck and all that kind of thing i was just a really big fan of the business and right. i would remember going to school and all i did in school was draw pictures of radio stations and and i thought to myself i don't have to pay attention to this because i'm going into radio you don't need an education you don't need to learn history or you don't need to learn you know you know arithmetic and math and algebra and blah 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 so and i worked in the radio station when i was uh probably seven eight years old emptying waste baskets and then filing and then production and so forth so and, and that's your, how that was my first entry-level position and did your dad always stay with country music with w- now he was in country music then evolved into top 40 and uh-huh. uh, became kdwb became one of the top premier radio stations in top 40 it was kdwb in minneapolis kfwb in uh, los angeles and sure. kewb in i think was san francisco 
Those were all owned by Pro Collier and then RKO eventually. Right. Wow, that is crazy. Let me ask you something. This is and you know, was you was your dad around like with the payola days? Oh, absolutely, and, absolutely. And how and did that the, work? Like, because I talked really, to you, you may know this name, a guy named Joe Smith. His um, Julie, his daughter, is a really great friend, and he was a big deal at Warner Brothers Records. And he told me like they would keep cash in an apartment yeah. in New York, just like that. Well, that was the business. He said that's how you yeah, did it. My dad, I remember on Saturday morning, a record guy would show up at our house on a Saturday morning <laughs> with the latest 45 of the Beatles single or whatever it may right. be. And, you know, we would he would run out to the station to drop it off or whatever, and we would play it. But he always taught me, and this was drilled into my head, and it stayed with me my entire career. Never take anything from anyone, ever. And I didn't understand what he meant about that until I got older. And because record people at the time, they would take you to dinner. They try yeah. to, you know, it, you know, entice you to this to play there. But I never took anything from anybody. And, and it was offered to me, believe me, all the time, but never, ever, ever once crossed that line. I remember someone tried to hand me uh, drugs. God rest his soul. He passed on. And uh, I told uh, the, my direct uh, report at ABC at the time, and I had to sit down and write an entire report on how it happened and this and that. But I was just, you know, as a kid, uh, you know, I respected the business and I respected the rules of the business. And I wasn't enticed or wooed or wowed by, you know, the the celebrity part of it and the uh, entertainment part of it. I just I saw it as a business because I was very blessed with a great dinner table education. Right. Uh, You know, my dad would talk about people at dinner or I would constantly go out to the station instead of going out to play baseball i would call a cab company to come and pick me up and take me out to the radio station so i could hang out in the production studio and watch these guys produce commercials or or bits and i would record commercials myself i did a lot of voice work as a kid at seven eight nine ten years old that was my next question it's like when were you never because you and jeremiah said the same thing he said he's got a great voice were you you never went after being on on air i was on the air since i was a kid since i could remember you know there was no business like show business there was no business i knew that that was more appealing than being on the radio and did you have a dj name uh, well, many. Uh, I would go to. This is the craziest thing. I worked in my own hometown of St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah. You know the Twin Cities. Sure. You know, near and dear to me. Grew up there. And my name is Tim Sabian. Yeah. So the program director at the time says you were going to give you the name Tim Kelly. I says why? Why? Yeah. Nobody knows that. You know, people know. I grew up. I went to school here. This. Yeah. Why would you change my name? And it was so annoying to me that I just, you know, whatever. But that was the way they thought back in those days. Well, so you probably you know I love to get paid. The most famous DJ to come out of Doylestown, Pennsylvania. He was a DJ for a short period of time. And you probably know him because he went on to run MTV and is Lee Masters. And yes. 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 But we knew him in Doylestown as Yarl Moan. That was yeah. his name. Now, that's a name you want to change. Going from Tim Savian to Tim yeah. Kelly, yeah. it's like, that's not that well, big he, deal. And Yarl went to program and run all of public broadcasting, yes. a very, very successful yes. career. 
just an incredible human being too. One of the nicest people One you ever want to meet. People you, again, yeah. he's like you'd never know he's a gajillionaire, and yeah. but he yeah. was this nerdy kid in Doylestown who would carry like you. He would carry records around all yeah. the time, and just it, it was my life. Yeah. It was my life. Yeah, re, I remember even as a kid, I remember him reading the back of albums, and and yeah. <clears throat> he just knew that stuff. He was in class with my brother, and now he's back to Yarl Moan. He's. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. he's, he's no longer. My, my my parents down in the basement of our house. My my dad and I we built one of those Heath kit stereo systems, sure. and the, it was stereo and the yeah. and the amplifier and all this. But we had literally thousands and thousands of records and albums and forty fives. And when I was home alone, I would take a stack of them yeah. and I would go and play the ones that you know in all of them. And I would you know stack the ones that I liked and stack the ones that I didn't like. And I got to know the Allman Brothers and I got to know. John Ball, John Baldry, and I mean all of these obscure artists, and and Gordon Lightfoot, I mm -hmm. remember, and and Elton John, and all these kinds of things, and I just through music discovery, that was my YouTube back then, and I would sit there for hours and hours and listen to music and find my favorites, and it was really fine tuning my my palate for you know what was good and what wasn't good, and I finally you know then it, I took those those abilities and I know Sonic what works and what doesn't work on the radio and so forth so when i went to wls they made me the music director and uh that was you know from there i never looked back yeah i was gonna say i was wondering how then you because you know i i did the same thing i was like yeah, i used to be an actor now i'm a writer and you know at some point the transition comes in usually it's geared towards making a little bit more consistent money you know not yeah. just yeah. so sporadic and I was, that was my question is, when did you say goodbye to being on the air? Well, I, I was on the air through, it put me through college and, uh, you know, and I had more fun than the law allowed. I would get fired at least two or three times a year from the radio station for doing some type of antics or, right. you know, I literally grew up around adults. You know, I was a young kid that had a lot of success at an early age. And I grew up in front of these people, which was, I was the wild child. And uh, and I worked very hard. I literally lived at the radio station. I knew every job in the station uh, because I did it. So they would fire me and they'd figure out two weeks later, hey, we don't know how to do this or so-and-so or he has all the the passes for the computer, you know, so and they'd you hire know, you back. They hire me back. So and then after a while, I said, you know, my dad would always say, say, look, Tim, there aren't too many 50 year old disc jockeys. You got to decide what you want to do. And so I sent out three tapes and resumes because I couldn't get a job in Minneapolis because everybody knew my reputation. I was a wild child and they, right. they were afraid of me. So I sent one to KFRC in San Francisco. I sent one to uh, uh, what was it uh, in in Seattle? Uh, I forget the name of it, uh, K, whatever it was, three letters. I forget what it was, but I worked. And then I sent one to WLS. Is that KGO? KGO. No, that was San Francisco. Uh, uh, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, I sent one to WLS in Chicago. So now I'm sitting at, at KDWB on a winter night, and uh, I get a call from a gentleman by the name of John Guerin. John Guerin was one of the premier program directors in the country and ran WLS for ABC Radio and called me up at around, I'll never forget this, around 5 o'clock and says, Hi, Tim, this is John Guerin from WLS. And I thought it was one of my friends. I'm going like, oh, fuck himself. And I, yeah, I hung up on him. We'll, so, we'll take 
take that. I forgot to mention we're rated PG. So don't worry. Oh, I'm sorry. Dr. D will take that out. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, we'll beep that. So anyway, so I hung up on him and he called me back. He says, no, Tim, this is John Guerin. Here's my number. You know, uh, it, so I called him back. I, I'm like, oh, my God, Mr. Guerin, I'm so sorry. He goes, oh, we liked your tape and resume. We find you, you know, interesting. And, you know, we have a, a nighttime position at WLS Chicago. I almost fell off my chair. I'm like, are you kidding me? So uh, I said, I'll be, you know, when, when do you want to meet? I'll and see you so for breakfast. I, yeah, yeah. So the next day I flew down from Minneapolis to Chicago. And uh, my dad told me, he says, look, if you're going to be stupid, at least look smart, wear a suit and a tie, you know, and I did. And uh, I got the job. And uh, I worked there at night on the FM uh, on the air for it was about six months or so. And they had an opportunity to become the music director of WLS in Chicago. And uh, because I ran the computer and did all the research and things for KDWB in Minneapolis, I was a natural fit for it. So uh, Steve Casey left for MTV and uh, I replaced him and and uh, literally never looked back. It was one of the greatest opportunities of all time because establishing myself in a major market in Chicago at a, a premier radio station like WLS and working with the all-time greats of Larry Lujak and Tommy Edwards, John Records Landecker, you know, Yvonne Daniels, Brian, uh, Brent Miller. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was a dream come true. And uh, so it was uh, at 21 years of age, I had the wind in my face, the sun at my back, and and the world at my fingertips. That's so great. So when you're a kid, I was wondering about this, like, because, like, and we're going to talk about Howard in the next segment, but, like, you know, Howard grew up, he had Don Imus, like, Don Imus was on the air. So there was yeah. somebody, and all those great New York DJs, Murray the K, and all those yeah. guys, he grew up with them. So... If you're in Minnesota, you only had Minnesota. But would you were you able to get like tapes of other DJs from around the country? I I would do. I went one further. I took a wire and I extended it on the roof of the house, the roof line of the house. Yeah. And I made my own antenna and I sat in my bed at night and I would list plug it into the antenna uh, port and I would listen in my at night. I would listen to extra out of uh, Mexico. If you recall the sure. Wolfman Jack. Yeah. The I would Wolf listen to him. The I would listen to K-A-A-Y on a Little Rock, Arkansas. It was a, a show called Beaker Street. It was so es esoteric and and just mind. I would listen to this and just like get lost in it. Yeah. It was such theater of the mind. And then I would listen to WABC. I would listen to WLS. And I would literally lit, say, lay in bed and I think, man, will I ever be good enough to ever walk in and work at one of those places? I would it would just be a dream come true. I'll never have that opportunity. I just I would wonder if I would just wonder what it would be like to be a part of that, you know, because I would listen to these powerful people like John Records Landecker or I'd listen to these powerful people like Wolfman Jack yeah. or WABC. It was just like, whoa. I would just be awed by it. And then for me to get the job at WLS, I'll never forget that as long as I live. I get off the elevator on the sixth floor at WLS and I walk in the in the lobby of WLS radio and there's the receptionist there sitting there behind this big dark oak wood, you know, uh, lobby and with the big plush chairs. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, this I just named legit. it. And the studio, uh, you know, looked out over the lobby entrance when you got off the elevator and looking at Larry Lujak in there, I almost, you know, just lost it That's right good. then and there. It was like the elastic in my underwear broke and my socks dropped. It was like, <laughs> holy crap, I made That's it. Great. 
Okay, we are going to take our first break. I'm talking to Tim Sabian, old friend, a great media guy, just, uh, you know, the as insane a career in radio as has ever walked down the path, I think, and can tell you everything which we're catching up on. But uh, also just a great guy. Now we're in the next segment. We'll come back and we'll talk how we met and the whole Howard Stern thing. So uh, you are listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Hi, I'm John Lovitz, and you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. My guest is Tim Sabian, great old friend, radio media guy. Tim, did you recognize that song? Um, I I did not hear it. I, You've been I, gone from Minnesota for too long. That was the Minnesota fight song, or maybe you didn't Oh, hear it. my God. Yeah, my alma mater. Yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd But I don't know why they didn't put the lyrics on the song. Usually they have, they, whatever the lyrics are, go you gophers, whatever it is. Rise, you gophers. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. Anyway, I'm talking to Tim Saban. So, so Tim and I met uh, because I had done the show Son of the Beach with uh, Howard Stern. And Tim was working at Sirius running the Howard Stern channels at Sirius, which I want to talk about. But one of the things, as much as like I got into Howard World through Son of the Beach, all Tim said, <clears throat> which I really loved about meeting him, all Tim loved was my previous show, Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. That's was that's all he ever wanted to talk about. Of it, you know. Meanwhile, Howard's like, you know, yeah, I did another show with him, but Tim wanted to talk about Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. Anyway, so um, how did you get to? I think I know how, but because I think we got to Howard through the same person. How did you find your way to Howard Stern? Well, for, I met Howard for the very first time when I was at WNBC with a pig virus yeah. and uh, I was in the office and Howard walked in and I'm, I'm just a fan of talent. I just love talented people. I'm fascinated by him because uh, I was around it all my life and I always wanted to be like like them, but I could I never had that instinct in me, but uh, I appreciated it. It was like artwork to me. And uh, I met Howard for the very first time. And I I really didn't understand the show. I listened to it. And I heard bursts of brilliance and and with him and so forth. But I had opportunities when I was at WLS to, you know, I hired Jonathan Brandmeier. I worked with Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. I worked with just the biggest names in the business, Kevin Matthews, uh, you name it. I had the chance 
nice to work with him. And then uh, I got hired at Infinity Broadcasting with Howard was the morning guy at uh, both uh, K-Rock in New York and uh, WYSP in Philadelphia and got to work with Howard. And so really that was got Mel Carmazin then who brought you to New York. That's correct. That gotcha. is correct. And one of the greatest opportunities of my life. And everybody was afraid to death of Mel because he was such a tough taskmaster. And I just loved him. I love that man. And one of the greatest all-time leaders in the business uh -huh. um, it, i would work for him a thousand times over again and he was the only one tough enough that could tame me and he he was the guy that really taught me and and i revered him and uh uh to this day so uh and i worked hard for him uh, because i wanted to, to earn his trust and and his belief in my abilities so he was the guy that brought me into infinity and then howard and i uh, I took WYSP to number one on the market, which was a, that's a the Philly. That was, yes, I grew up the, listening to that yeah, station. Yes, yeah, it was it was a, something that nobody's done with a classic rock radio station. I tied it all together, and uh, where it made sense, it was Howard Stern mornings in classic rock all day, uh -huh. and uh, we just we did it right, and then we acquired the Philadelphia Eagles and put that on. So we had a juggernaut of a radio station. We went to number one on the market, and then Mel came down and uh, said, "Would you?" you know, be interested in running uh, K-Rock at the same time. I says, well, he says, can you do it? I says, well, you do 21 stations. I can at least do two. So I did two stations. I did both WYSP and K-Rock. I would, you know, bounce back and forth uh, between the two markets. And then they gave me more and all that kind of thing. But my office was right next to Howard's. And uh, I developed a relationship with Howard. And I was just in awe of working with him and just watching him, what he did and how he did it. And, and, uh, he's, you know, he's just a very interesting it is, human being. I got to say, one of uh, my favorite, and I, I don't know how many times I was on the show, but watching him work was one of the great uh, experiences of my life because the guy is so dialed in. At least this is more, you know, it's become more of a podcast now, which is fine. It's great. But back then, there were so many things going on, jokes and call, and he yeah. was this, it was like a genius working a synthesizer, except they were eight controls of radio, and he's reading things and talking at the same time and taking jokes from Jackie. It was, yeah. it was really uh, just a great experience watching him work. It was he was masterful at it, absolutely masterful. And one of the things that I I, I really think that that prepped him was the fact that he was a puppeteer when he was a kid. Yeah. You know, he was putting That's on shows funny. seriously. Yeah. Those those types of, of fundamentals, you know, showed him that how to do that. So he's multi, you know, working yes. multiple and you know that kind of thing but also his mind is is he, if he would never perform anything unless he felt it we would pitch him ideas or have meetings with him and if he didn't feel it yes. he wouldn't perform it and that was a true true you know artist you know and i i learned a lot by just watching him you know pick what he did or you know deciding how he was going to go with something or how he rolls things out very strategic and he had a, a sixth sense about him that other people people didn't have and uh, he also understood the business of it and had an appreciation for the business even though he didn't run the business but he understood that you know people that really had a sensibility about it and he picked me to do that because i did have a sensitivity i worked with talent i understood you know how to, to treat and how to work and all those kinds of things and i appreciated it and respected it so very very blessed to have that opportunity and so 
you must have, were you there like 12 years, at least 10 years? I was, I worked with Howard for 26 years. Oh my God. 26 years. Yeah. 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 And we were there. Here's a question. It's hard to pin down, but like, is there in, in all of Howard's world, is there a character? Because I was thinking about this today. One of the great, another great thing Tim Saving did for me was I always wanted to go to the Friars Club in New York. And Tim Savian was a and took me to dinner with, and Red Peters was there that night. Of those of you in the Howard Stern world, Red Peters used to be on more than now, but Red Peters writes these really funny songs. They're too dirty for this show, but they're <laughs> really, really funny. Go to YouTube and yeah. watch some Red Peters. But we went to dinner there. And, um, but so, so, Looking back at all the characters that came through Stern World, who were some of your favorites? Or oh my God, it it, it spanned the the you know from all the way from Donald Trump to to Beetlejuice and everything yes. in between. Uh, it was just what what an opportunity. And one of the greatest things was for me is that you know we would all get up at three thirty four o'clock in the morning and be front and center at our desks at five o'clock in the morning and uh, like uh, like a, a military. It was like you know like a, a drill team. And uh, but at night you know uh, I would go out because Howard was home in bed and I had the opportunity to go out with a lot of the guests and got to develop relationships like you and I did, you yeah. know, it, it was uh, like George Takei or, or, you know, uh, 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 what's, oh God, I just, I, it goes on and on and on, but it was just such an amazing opportunity uh, that uh, I had. And I got to build up my contact list that I can get pretty much you know, in touch with anybody or anyone in the business because of my experience at the Howard world. Yeah. And, and I took the time to get to know people as people. And I became pretty much like the concierge for everybody. When they'd come to town, they'd ask me, Hey Tim, can you get me into this restaurant or can you help me with this or whatever, whether it was Rosie or Donald or it was, uh, I mean, Oh, it was just, it was, it was just one of the best, greatest opportunities of my life. So, you know, just extremely, extremely grateful. Yeah. Again, I just th- when I think of of all the characters he's picked up over the years, and and uh, Tim and I or Tim got me together with Julie Agar, who's been on this show, and we're doing some stuff together. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to have to talk a little bit about that this product that that Tim is working with in our fourth segment, the final segment. But uh, we got a crazy one coming up next. But but I just think of all the characters. That came through there with from, you know, Crackhead Bob to, you know, High Pitched Eric. And I kept thinking, like, how did you manage them? Well, it, it was it was a combination of things. I remember one time when uh, uh, m- one of my favorites was David Brenner. You know, there, there was a guy there that, oh, my God, he was, he was just guest. so soulful and just what great stories about his personal life and and the trials and tribulations of the opportunities that he passed up with you know the tonight show and and they he was the designated you know fill-in for johnny and and just how he passed it up because he chose his son and his family over that and it was like those types of stories just touched my heart or or you know will from the 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 the, uh the david letterman show and the band uh i forget his last name right now but he had that band the fab foe yes. and uh, th- they were just incredible in getting to know him or getting to th- i mean there was just so many oh, people every day there was that, just somebody it, new just and yeah, it was five days a week you know it was yeah. just like 
Richard Simmons, when he, when Howard would piss him off, you know, they asked me, I remember Howard says, would you go get him? He's, you know, he ran out of here. So I followed him down the, the elevator and he's in the corner, you know, cowering and crying and carrying on. And people are coming in the elevator that worked in the, in the building at 49th and 6th. You know, I'm like, Richard, come on back. Come, you know, you know, he was just having fun. You know, no, it's, you know, he's crying. I'm like, oh my God. I said, they can't believe this. Or Paul McCartney, when he walked in the building, he walks in into the front door and there's 300 people out on the street, yeah. you know, waiting to see Paul McCartney. And I, I said, Paul, I said, you can't walk out the front door. So I says, give me the name of your driver. So we spent the morning together, you know, walking him around the building and so forth and taking him down the, the freight elevator. I got his car inside the building so I could get him in the car, you know, so no one would see him. And But I got to spend time with him and talk to him about when the first time I met him when I was eight years old in Minneapolis when he performed in 1965. Uh. And, you know, those are the kinds of moments that I had. And the people like Bill Porcelli, the one of his people that worked with him for 20 some years. I mean, deep, deep, you know, trustful relationships with people. And like yourself, you know, it's just we did things together. It was a community that you work together. Andrew Dice Clay or whoever it may be. We got Gilbert We got to check. Yeah, they're Gilbert, who was on Son of the Beach. Oh. But I'm also thinking like my mind's going back to like there would be times at the CERN show where. Paul McCartney's on, but Beetlejuice is also on. So the combination of like, you know, you got Paul and Beetlejuice in the same room, the same green room waiting to go on. That that to me sums up the Howard Stern show. That that you it, it was it was a circus. Yes, yeah. yes, but a wonderful place. Okay, we're gonna take another break, and then we're gonna take a right turn that I've never done before on this show. But Tim and I share something, which we're going to talk about, not in a crazy way, but we're going to talk about it because uh, it seems to be back in the news. Anyway, I'm talking to Tim Sabian. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hi, it's Tim Sabian from Sabian Media, and you're listening to Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hi, I'm Eddie Feldman, and check me out on Twitter at Eddie Feldman, my name, on Twitter. And this is It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. This is Pedro, is as bad as can He's bad, he knows 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 he's bad
Listening to that when Beatles sang that song. Anyway, <laughs> that was some more Beetlejuice references. I'm talking to Tim Sabian, who ran the Howard Stern world for 26 years. He worked with Howard Stern, and that's how we met. And um, so I was going to take my detour uh, now, but I'm going to hold it to later because I, I want to talk about uh, Tim's new world and Sabian Media and what you're doing. And I brought Jeremiah in because. He's in the food and beverage world, and you have you're you're just doing really interesting, diverse stuff. And so, please tell us about it. Well, I got involved you know, when Sabian Media started. I I, I re- literally started. I thought it would be a hobby, and I thought it would give me something to do, and never thought it would really take off. Well, it took off, and uh, I got some incredible partners and. and and uh clients and and just uh, amazing amazing we just uh acquired the rights to secretariat uh the world's greatest athlete of the 20th century with one of the greatest brands you know in that time period were michael jordan uh muhammad ali and we own secretariat which is absolutely amazing all the ip so that's a big deal but i got involved in a project that just blew my mind i got a call from a guy out in uh, uh council bluffs iowa they're from larson valley farms larson valley farms is a sixth generation cattle ranch and uh, they raise black angus cattle the highest genetics and they have custody in the entire vertical meaning that they grow their own feed with no antibiotics and no fertilizer all that kind of stuff it's all healthy the cattle are raised and, and coddled and uh you know brought to market with the finest care uh, and uh, these guys are just absolutely perfectionists. When I met Rick Larson for the first time, he, who's in charge of the of the farm and, and sixth generation cattle rancher, uh, I says, Rick, what's the goal here? He says, quality. I says, you know, expound on that. He goes, quality product, quality vendors, quality this, quality that, all the way down the line. And he runs it like uh, just a, like a drill team. It's it's just absolutely perfection. But you were describing it. It sounded really fun. Like they do these cookouts and they bring in oh, uh, celebrity we, cooks to cook steaks and, and yeah, in different yeah, ways. It's, it's, you know, and they said, you know, we, we were interested in working with you because you build brands, you know, whether it's a Howard Stern or it's a widget or it's a steak or whatever, we build brands and we're building an ecosystem around Larson Valley Farms. Uh, we have a butcher shop in Council Bluffs, Rustic Cuts, and this meat is the highest quality. When I first met them, I says, what differentiates, you know, your product from anything else that's out there? He goes, I'll send you a hundred dollar piece of Wagyu filet and a $50 piece of our filet and 10 out of 10 times, he says, you will go and pick our product blindfolded. He says, that's how good it is. Lo and behold, they send me the, the product and boom, there you go. And that's why I got involved in it because I believe in the quality. Like Howard Stern is quality, the best of the best in class. This product is the best of the best in class. There's none other like it. And I'm telling you, we not only you know sell our product but we source our product we're the source we raise the cattle there are so many other you know uh purveyors out there that they source their their product from multiple you know uh cattle ranches so there's no consistency we have that consistency plus we have custody of what they eat we chip our 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 beef from birth all the way through processing so we know exactly you know where they've been what they ate 
they're milk fed to a certain point, then they're grass fed. And then at 600 pounds, they're both grass and corn fed with our special feed. And then they're harvested at 1200 pounds. And uh, we've got some big things going on in that space where we're acquiring and building our own processing plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that So we're going to have all full custody from the feed to raising the cattle to processing to also we have our own trucking company and we'll also have two rail lines that will be able to upload all of our product into freezer cars and ship throughout the country so we will be the a a real force to reckon with of quality and consistency jeremiah you're going to buy some yeah, I was just going to say all those things are really important to chefs now more than ever. Are you? What's your plan, Tim, on on getting that pro, the, this great product and this beef out to the two different coasts? With is with the well, railways, well, with the trucking. Well, Jer- Jeremiah, we we just we're in the process right now of buying a cold storage unit on the East Coast because uh, we found out uh, Amazon went and acquired all the cold storage spaces up and down the east coast so we'll have distribution on the east coast and also on the west coast uh you know so what we want to do once again is we don't want to be number one overnight we want to scale into it and we want to have partnerships with people mm-hmm. rick will not do business with anybody unless he meets them and looks them straight in the eye and understands who they are that's the kind of guy he is he's a you know a former bull rider uh cattle rancher he's the real deal and this guy is you know his word is his bond uh he He's believable, credible, and uh, he works from three, four in the morning until you know he drops at two at, at two a.m. in the morning. Sounds so like a farmer, the guy is a true a true <laughs> cattle rancher. He's but the thing farmer. is, uh, consistently, as far as with restaurants, one of the things is is that there's no consistency. Number one, yeah. we have control over the marbling of the meat, so we know exactly we can deliver the exact product to you, time in, time out, on a consistent basis, where you know you're going to get quality every single time, and Plus, we have no disruption in our our, uh, distribution channel because we own our own trucking company. We have our own rail lines, you know, in the very near future here. So we've got the entire thing from soup to nuts. And plus the fact that, you know, we love the people we work with. And once again, we're partners rather than a client vendor, that kind of thing. But talk about some of the stuff you're uh, going. Has anybody ever told Tim no? (laughs) <laughs> I can't imagine. I'm sold, Tim. Where do I sign up? No, no I just, you know, the thing is, I, I love working with people you love. Yeah. And I have a passion for life. And I have a passion for doing the right thing. Because that is if all true. Guys exce- if these guys excel and succeed, I excel and succeed. There's nothing in it for me to see Jeremiah fail or Tim Stack fail. There's nothing in it. If, I, if you guys fail, I fail. I want to be the best that I can be and look up at something at an ideal and feel good about things and conquer things because there's right now in this world there is so much opportunity with media with social media the the opportunities that we have to promote and drive audience and to sell you know good ideas and Mm -hmm. and let people know the truth about things and it's not tainted you know this is real stuff so i really appreciate that opportunity to get the real world out there and that's one thing that i learned from howard was transparency and honesty and integrity and all those kinds of Mm -hmm. things it means the world and it flows through everything you do with this new company as well. Uh, is the is your idea to get into some of these great rest- restaurants in L.A. and New York, some great well, chefs to, to, that believe in everything you believe in? 
Yeah. Um, well, that's that's one of the things that, you know, once again, is building a relationship, you know, and getting to know these people, the, the you know, these the chefs and so forth, getting to know us. And there's a relationship. I just don't want to sell somebody a piece of meat. I want to be in partner with them I, because if their business fails, I fail. I want to make sure that they know who they're dealing with. We want to know who we're dealing with, because if we put it in the hands, I'd like to be what Bill Gates was to IBM Compact and Dell. I want to be that software. I want to be that to Traeger, to, you know, the Weber, to you know, the egg, to all of these. I want to be that official, you know, protein to all of these different platforms in a real healthy way, because right now all of our food is being tainted or geometric or, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? All altered you know uh, uh so it's we're real you know there's there's no antibiotics there's nothing added to it it's real stuff and you can taste the difference i will send you guys both samples sample boxes of say, where's our steak now we're talking <laughs> well, they, this, this interview comes with gifts so and i want I'm chopping you know, mine up, to god's mm. truth I, you know <laughs> I, i'm telling you it, it, there is a difference and everybody that had has tried it literally has called me up and said and some of the biggest chefs in the country some of the most you know, I, I don't want to name them but i mean some of the biggest baddest people you know in the meat business steak business have tried this they're like blown away because the consistency the continuity and the the attention to detail is none other that's why we you know we don't want to explode overnight we want to grow this thing systematically and once again with the right people that have the same kind of passion and commitment to excellence as we do so where can we buy it now Right now, you go to rusticcutscb.com, rusticcutscb for councilbluffs.com, and you can order. This is our busiest time of year. People are ordering prime rib, and they're ordering porterhouses, and they're ordering ribeyes in New York strips. And our fillets, I tell you, most fillets that you taste are kind of nondescript. These have flavor. These are the real deal. And uh, there's a different consistency. They look different. They feel different. And man, oh, man, I'm telling you, it's it, you don't even need a knife to cut it. That's how good it is. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. I'm checking the mailbox right now. Um, so it'll be there. It'll be there next week when I get home from this interview. Um, so, Tim, I'm going to we're going to we're going to ease into our next segment. But I'm going to go back to uh, a little bit of Stern World as a segue, because I know Richard Belzer used to be on the show quite a bit and he was great i don't know what happened i never know what happened between howard and some of these guys like where did gilbert go where did richard belzer go where did richard lewis go that any for whatever reason something happened and that's it happens you know stuff happens but belzer was on there and belzer sort of as funny as he was and he was on law and order wow that was a cash cow for him just Mm -hmm. easy money um but he also wrote a book called hit list and hit list, this is going to get into our last segment because Tim and I have this, we're not nuts about it, but we're both very, very intrigued by the Kennedy assassination. We're both, we've read a lot, we've watched a lot, and again, we're not nuts, but we're just very intrigued oh, by it. I'm nuts. <laughs> and, and Belzer was, and he wrote this book called Hit List, which was about all the people who were murdered 
who were somehow connected to the JFK assassination. There were like 42 people who met really weird, untimely deaths, and they had this connection to uh, the JFK assassination. So with the anniversary coming up, and there's an article this week in New York Magazine, that like suddenly like people are kind of catching on to what Tim and I have been going back and forth for like 20 years on. So anyway, we're going to talk about that when we come back, which is really different for the show, but we're going to do it anyway. And you are listening to Tim Sabian, my guest on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Hey, I'm Dave Rogowski. You can follow me at Twitter uh, under at Ludwig Fauci. And uh, I got nothing else to promote, but you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. A flash from Dallas. Two priests who were with President Kennedy say he is dead of bullet wounds. This is the latest information we have from Dallas. I will repeat with the greatest regret, two priests who were with President Kennedy say he has died of bullet wounds. That was the least funny <laughs> clip I've ever played on this show. I couldn't, that was the last minute thing to do this. But uh, Tim and I were talking because like, the anniversary, the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination is coming up. And Tim and I, I'm sort of coming out of the closet. Like for so many years, I would say like, yeah, JFK, that was nuts. It's not, you know, it's not Oswald. He might've been involved, but there are other, and people would say like, you're nuts, you're nuts, you're nuts. And then Tim Savy and I found this in common and we shared a lot of articles and information and books and documentaries over the years. And this week, New York Magazine comes out with an article like, yeah, I think we need to look at the Kennedy assassination again because some stuff went down there and it's these nuts aren't so nutty. So anyway. Well, I, I tell you, I was I'll never forget that day. I was in fifth grade and sitting in the classroom and the nun came in and said, uh, the president has been shot. And we went to church and went to mass and, you know, and, and everybody was kind of really somber. And I remember walking home on that afternoon and it was a great you know, afternoon in, in, in uh, St. Paul. And I get home and my mom's on the couch crying hysterically. And I'm like, oh, my God, it was starting to sink in that the president of the United States has been shot. And like, what's going to happen with our country? Yeah. And then I remember going to the radio station with my dad and this top 40 radio station, this vibrant 
Top 40 radio station is now just doing news and stories and reminiscing about, you know, John Fitzgerald Kennedy and so forth. So it had a really profound impact on me. And then through the years, you know, and then I remember that Sunday morning, uh, we went to church and and uh, I come home, we go to my grandmother's house and we're sitting in the living room and all I see pop, 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 you know, there goes Lee Harvey Oswald down. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Yep. And for the, a kid, you know, I was eight years old at the time, I think around there. And I was like, whoa, this is doesn't make any sense because I live in America. This is the safest place on the planet. And our president has been shot and this disruption with Oswald and, and then Jack Ruby. And oh, my God, I'm like, what the heck? And then through the years, you know, you think about it, you process it and and meeting different people. And, and uh, you know, I met you and we talked about it. I'm like, oh, my God. And it just brought back all of these emotions and feelings. And the thing was, you you know, you question it. Was it really Lee Harvey Oswald? And then the bullet on the windshield. And then you see all the, you know, the man in the sewer and the, 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 the guy the with the umbrella and, and uh, you know, all yeah. of these theories. And and then, you know, when Trump was going to release the documents, uh, you know, the, the FBI documents and the, you know, all the, you know, the, the, the classified stuff, I was like, oh, my God, this is so great. But it was just really an incredible journey. But, you know, you figure out and, and you started to learn that the deep state is deeper. And it started back then. And just has amplified over the years, uh, you know, as we've gotten older. And I remember going to Europe and hearing about in Italy, about Italy, how corrupt it was. And I thought, thank God for the United States of America. But now you're finding out the corruption that we live in and the world we live in. You know, it's just it's really heartbreaking because I'll never forget my uh, 9-11, which was like a baseball bat in the gut, you know, living out here on the East Coast and seeing that and, and understanding the people that were involved. And I'll never forget my I talking, calling my dad up and I says, Dad, for the first time in my life, I'm 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 really concerned I'm, I'm i'm scared yeah he goes don't worry he says you live in the united states of america my, my dad fought in the korean war he says never doubt the united states of america never ever doubt it and i'm like really he goes i, I, I agree with everything you said and also the stern show that day on 9-11 was heavy. unbelievable i mean they were heavy. you kept going and it was it was uh, it was just a, a surreal broadcast. I remember that day, and well, and Tim going back to JFK. I had the same. I think we're the same age because I think I yeah. was in fifth grade too. And they yeah. yanked us in from the playground, and the same thing. I was watching TV next door, and Oswald gets shot, and I ran next home to my mother next door, and I said, "You're not going to believe it." Turn on the TV, and sure enough, he had just been killed. But I, re I I'm I'm sort of confessing here, like. Uh, my dad got me into it like in 1964 there was a book called mark lane was sort of the first guy to write called rush to judgment and i remember him talking my dad and that's what sort of got me started and i i never left it i find it as intriguing i also know it's a rabbit hole. It's never going to get solved. But it's just so fascinating and so interesting with, you know, with, uh, you know, the and, and being in the hospital just when they did the autopsy and yeah. what happened there. Uh, and, and, and the whole thing with uh, uh, the fact that, 
you know, they couldn't get the, the casket out and on the plane, the hassle that they had with the coroner. It's you unbelievable. Know, the, the Why even do a, the, and a guy who was never even a coroner did the autopsy and the Warren report. I got yeah. to ch- uh, talk to uh, the senator. I forget what is he was on the show. He one was day. on the show and Howard Corner about him. Um, yeah, oh, it was just I Arlen Specter. Arlen Specter, I wish I could have spent hours with him because yes. I had so much to ask him and because he was on the Warren Commission He's at the, the time. single bullet theory, man. Yeah. Yep. And oh, my God, I had things to to ask and to, you know, just I wish I could have spent hours with these guys just to learn and to understand. And and just as oh, it was just absolutely fascinating and amazing. Maybe we'll and do an, we'll, maybe we'll points. do an hour sometime. I'll get all my JFK buddies on. Oh, my God. Yeah. Some of them oh, are famous comedians. I'll get them on. Maybe they'll do it. Um, We have run out of time. Um, So great to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. I'll talk to you again this week. I'm going to introduce you to Jeremiah. Well, you've already met him. but I'm Make uh, sure I get your addresses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, obviously, great luck with this new company. That's not new. Saving Media has been around. But all these new products that you have and these ideas you've got, they're super interesting. We didn't even talk about what you got going with Secretariat. Um, anyway, we're out of time. So, Tim, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. D, the engineer. We didn't plug anything. I didn't even plug Sprung on Amazon. I just did. Uh, thank Western you. Valley Farms, Rustic Cuts. There Rustic you go, Rustic Cuts. There you go. Now we're plugging. Uh, I'll see go. you next time. Thank you, Tim. I'll see you next time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.